0: Bismillah rahman rahim Alhamdulillahi wa salatu salamu ala Sayyidil al-mursaleen wa ala Alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa salama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd. My dear respected brothers and sisters, <coughs> in this, in today's uh, session on, we will be, in, in today's session we'll be discussing the next part of this risalatul mustarshidin by imam hasib uh, imam al muhasibi harith al muhasibi he's a very early scholar he's from he died in baghdad in 243 hijri so that's very early on 243 hijri this is the time around the time when imam bukhari passed away when imam ahmed was around imam bukhari passed away just after this and Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal So he's among the ulama of that time And he's writing about these spiritual issues So this book is considered to be a very important book His messages, his nasiha in here Is considered to be very very important in that regard So he says <clears throat> Any matter that, whose light you see shining in front of you as being from the correct methodology, something is shown to you, something comes in front of you to be shown that this is the haqq, this is the right, this is uh, truth. It's coming in the form of Islam, it's coming in the form of something to do with the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, something suddenly appears in front of you. You read it somewhere Somebody invites you towards it How do you know whether it is From the Quran and Sunnah How do you know whether it is Actually sanctioned by the Sharia Because there's many many Cultural things that people do And they try to pass it off As something Islamic Whereas it has nothing to do with Islam It's just some Muslims are doing it So because some Muslims are doing so Doesn't make it an Islamic thing Muslims do all sorts of things So not everything that a Muslim does has to be Islamic. And this is where a lot of the confusion comes. So this is why he's saying that anything that sparkles, that becomes evident, that displays itself and shows itself in the light of the minhaj, which means the methodology, the ethos of the truth, then fa'a'ridhu, present it in front of the kitab and the sunnah, and, الصالح, and righteous etiquette, rich, righteous decorum as known through the Sahaba and our Salafsaliheen. فَإِنْ خفي عليك أمر فخذ فيه رأي من دينه وعقله And then he says, if there is some matter which you're unable to figure out as to whether it has a source in the Qur'an and Sunnah, anything is concealed upon you, veiled from you, is obscure and you can't understand it, then go and take the opinion of the one who you are satisfied with his deen and his intelligence. Not just deen, not just intelligence, but somebody who is intellectual and is religious. Religious in the sense that, not religious just in overt practice, but you understand, you know that they understand the deen. And they have enough intellect to understand the deen properly. So that's what he tells us to do. So let's look at this a bit more. Imam Junaid al Baghdadi, who was considered to be one of the greatest of the spiritual scholars of the past, he says, hadha Our madhab, this madhab of ours, this way of ours, this understanding of ours, our perspective, is its essentially regulated and contingent with the usul. With the foundational sources. What are our foundational sources? Our Quran and Sunnah. Whatever we do must come from the Quran and Sunnah. If it's not from the Quran and Sunnah, it can't be the truth because they are our asas, primary sources, our absolute fundamental basis. Without that, you're building a structure somewhere else. If it doesn't come from the Quran and Sunnah, then that means your foundation that it's built upon is something else. Everything we do has to be on the foundation of the Qur'an Sunnah. Then you build a structure on top of that. فَمَنْ لَمْ يَحْفَظِ الْكِتَابِ وَيَكْتُبَ الْحَدِيثِ وَيَتَفَقَّهِ لَا يُقْتَدَى بِهِ Anybody who doesn't, who has not preserved the Qur'an, this could be either half of the Qur'an or who understands fully well the Qur'an, and who doesn't write hadith, which means he has no understanding of narrations, of hadith Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam, and has some understanding of the the fiqh. He's not basing it on Quran and Hadith. You can't you can't accept. La 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 He can't be followed. Somebody who doesn't know the Quran, who doesn't base himself on the Quran, even if he's then writing hadith and saying he's a jurist, he cannot be followed. La yuqtada بِهِ A Sheikh Sha'rani, who was one of the great Egyptian scholars of the last few hundred years, not as early as Junaid al baghdadi Junaid al baghdadi is from the early generations. But from the recent generations, we have Sha'rani, Imam Sha'rani. He says that, The reason why he's being quoted here is because he's considered to be a very great Sufi. So when you have a Sufi who is making these statements, then you can understand how imp- how important this matter must be because even Sufis are saying the same thing. And generally the confusion in this regard also comes from Sufis, certain Sufis, degenerated forms of Sufism. So that's why this is being quoted from Junaid al-Baghdadi first who is considered to be one of the greatest Sufis as such. And then one of the later, later Sufis, Imam Sha'arani, Related from his kashful ghumma he says, "Kullu tariq, in any any path in which, in which the sharī, the legislator, which is the Quran, which is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Allah subhanahu wa taala, Allah and His Messenger have not passed, they have not followed, then that is a a dark path. Only the path from the Allah subhanahu wa taala and His Messenger is illuminated. Everything else is dark." وَلَا يَكُونُ أَحَدٌ مِمَّنْ فِيهِ عَلَىٰ يَقِينٍ مِّنَ السَّلَامَةِ وَعَدَمِ الْعَطَبِ There's nobody who would walk in such a path, the dark path, which is not from the Qur'an and Sunnah. Anybody who walks in such a path, they can never be convinced that they will remain safe. Because once you're in a dark path, then just physically speaking, when you're in a dark alleyway, or a dark road, in a dark jungle, then you can't be safe. There's no way you can be safe there because you don't know what lies in front. You don't know how where you may be attacked. You'll trip over something. You'll go in the wrong direction. There's so many things that can happen, can't it? So that's why it's dangerous. So he is basically using that metaphor there. He also says that, duru مَعَ الشَّرْعِ كَيْفَ كَانَ Revolve around the Sharia wherever it may go. So whenever you do anything, make sure that you are Going around and encircling, traversing the path of your life according to the Sharia. Wherever it may go, لا مع الكشف فإنه يخطئ Not just with what you think is spiritual spiritual unveilings, that you are receiving these divine intuitions and these things are being unveiled for you in your own mind. Some deluded person like this. Because anybody who is a true wali of Allah and who is receiving kashf, then they will know how to understand whether this is from the shaitan or from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because a wali of Allah is somebody who Allah looks after. The name means that thing. The, the, name, the, the word wali means the one who takes care of Allah's limits and rights. And it could also mean the one who Allah takes care of in terms of guidance and so on. Another meaning of wali comes from the meaning of doing something consecutively, is the one who, tawala yatawala, which basically means who is consecutively always in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He doesn't fall. So these are all the various meanings of wali, depending on the linguistic term. So a, a true wali of Allah, when he sees an unveiling, then he knows it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he sees a dream, and there's something being mentioned in his dream, or shown in his dream, then that person is going to, understand it through the lens of the Quran and Sunnah but somebody who is misguided somebody who is not truly a wadi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they start receiving unveilings and you you will come across such people they were doing everything that was wrong until the day before suddenly they seem to have changed but their changes come with some really crazy things because they say that they've seen a dream or somebody came and told them something and they start doing some really strange things, then you know that this is problematic. That's why Imam Sha'rani is saying that you just can't go with spiritual unveilings, فَإِنَّهُ يخطئ, because that is not wahi. That could make a mistake. There could be an error. You don't know where it's coming from. Who's whispering to you? And it is... Important, he says, that you should study the books of fiqh abundantly, deeply, profoundly. Because they tell you what is based on the sharia as being right and wrong. So if you're whispering your dreams are telling you something else, then know that there can't be anything different to what has already been mentioned through the Qur'an and Sunnah. Nobody can be given a new law. Even Isa, Isa when he comes he will be legislating according to the deen of Muhammad sallallahu And a few things that he will change has or have already been mentioned by the Prophet sallallahu That Isa will come and he will abolish the jizya. Nobody can abolish the jizya today. If there's a context for it, then the jizya applies. Right? Which is the, the, um, the protection tax that's given by non-Muslims in a Muslim state. But Isa will come and do that. So some people say, "Look, he's doing something new." Yes, but that's because the Prophet sallallahu alaihi already told us that he's going to do that. He's just doing it in the, according to the instructions of Rasulullah. He's not going to come and legislate anything new. So he says it is highly necessary for a person to abundantly study the books of Fiqh. And he says, "Aksumaa 'alayhi <laughs> al-mutsawifah this is totally in contrast to those wannabe Sufis, those wannabe Sufis, those who try to be Sufis but are not really Sufi in the right term. That uh, those who try to hold on, who try to claim Tasawuf, who have maybe found a spark of the uh, of the path, and then they. Pro- prohibited themselves or others from studying the books of fiqh. And I've seen this. It was a person that uh, who be- became a kind of a friend afterwards. He was in a Sufi tariqah. This was in another country. And the shaykh there, he would tell him not to study fiqh and other things. He says, there's no need to do that. You can do khidmah without doing that. I don't know why they did that. Maybe he was feeling fearful that they may... Start learning what is really right and wrong and then uh, he may lose them or whatever the case was. But genuinely in this time and age as well, you've got people who will tell you there's no need for you to go that way. You just keep doing what you're doing. Wakalu innahu hijab, And they said that if you study fiqh, it's going to be a veil, a hijab. جَهْلًا minhum. This is clearly ignorance on their part. Then Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, he says in his Ihya' al-Uloom al-Din, he says that Junaid al-Baghdadi, rahimahullah, said that Sari al-Saqati, uh, which was his Shaykh, Sari al-Saqati was the Shaykh of Junaid al-Baghdadi. He said that Sari said to me one day, "Ifa qumta faman tajlis." When you leave this majlis, when you leave this gathering, who else do you go and sit by? Who else do you take from? Qultu al Muhasibi. Harith al Muhasibi is the author of the book. I'm quoting you from somebody uh, somewhere else now. This is not all from Imam Muhasibi. I'm quoting you from other books. But basically, um, he says, Oh, I go and sit with the sh- uh, Harith al Muhasibi. So he said, Ni'mah, wonderful, wonderful. Khudh min wa you, should, you should take from his knowledge and from his akhlaq his character, and his adab, his ethos. تَشْقِيقَهُ الْكَلَامَ وَرَدَّهُ عَلَى الْمُتَكَلِّمِينَ Just avoid his... Whenever he criticizes the Ahlul Kalam, the, the theologians, um, just when he repudiates them, just, just, just avoid that part. But otherwise take from his knowledge, and take from his adab, because they're, they're wonderful. So he's telling him how to, how much to take and what not to take. Then he says that, um, Junaid al Baghdadi is saying this, that when I left, ثم, لما, um, as I was turning away, he said, I heard him saying, جَعَلَكَ sahiba hadith in Sufiyan. وَلَا جَعَلَكَ Sufiyan صَاحِبَ حَدِيثٍ That's very interesting. جَعَلَكَ اللَّهُ صَاحِبَ حَدِيثٍ سُوفِيًّا وَلَا جَعَلَكَ سُوفِيًّا صَاحِبَ حَدِيثٍ May Allah make you a scholar of hadith who is also a Sufi. May Allah make you a scholar of hadith, a possessor of hadith who is also a Sufi. Allah not make you a Sufi who is also a scholar of hadith. What is the difference between those two? One is a Sufi first, the other one is a hadith scholar first. One is a hadith scholar first, the other one is a Sufi first. Imam Ghazali says, after quoting this, now remember this is Imam Ghazali, one of the greatest Sufis we know, who actually popularized Tasawuf in its pure form. He is saying this. So he comments, He's saying that what is indicated by this statement of Sariya Saqati to Junaid al-Baghdadi is that whoever studies hadith first, and by hadith what we mean here is sacred knowledge in general. Because there's no point studying hadith without the Qur'an. You will study Qur'an and hadith. So you will know the Sunnah. Whoever studies that first and then he becomes a Sufi, he will be successful. Whoever becomes a Sufi first, before knowing the knowledge profoundly well, khātara Nafsihi, He is basically on a dangerous path. And the reason for this, this doesn't mean that if you've been a Sufi first, then you shouldn't study Qur'an, Sunnah. It's just that the reason why there's more danger in that regard is that when your primary and main focus has been something, that will color your worldview, that will inform how you look at things that will give you the tools of how to analyze things. And that will be your subjectivity. That will be the lens by which you will see everything. So then when you start looking at the Qur'an and Sunnah, you'll try to color the Qur'an and Sunnah with what you know. Now of course you might say that if he had true tasawwuf, if he had gained his proper tasawwuf in the proper light, then there won't be that much danger. Because his tasawwuf has already been... Though he hasn't done this himself, his shaykh, he received a saw from his shaykh in a way that's regulated by the Qur'an and sunnah, then there's less of a problem in that. But a person who did it by themselves or who got the saw by or thinks he's got the saw and then after that he starts looking at the Qur'an and sunnah, he's going to color the Qur'an and sunnah and make everything a dalil for their actions. You have so many of these things. Most of the Sufis that do strange things, they'll have a dalil for it. Because generally if you do something strange, somebody is going to criticize you. Somebody is going to come and object. Somebody is going to come and question, Why is this right? Is this sunnah? Is this ja'iz? Is this permissible? And then you may not know your evidence first because you just found somebody else doing it, so you decided to do it. But then you'll go and look for some evidence. And it's not difficult, to be honest, to bend some... Uh, some evidence from the Qur'an and Sunnah and make it apply. And you can any objective person clearly see that there's a disconnect between those things. If you read the Qur'an and Sunnah first, you would never have come to this conclusion. But now that you're doing this first and then you're trying to read into a particular verse this activity, then I could maybe see how you've done that. But I can't see this being primary. That if you were to look at Qur'an and Sunnah and say, what does this tell us? It will never tell you about this. There's many things like this. That's why I'd rather have those Sufis who tell you that doing dhikr in a particular way, moving the head in a particular fashion. We only do it because we find it effective, an effective means of entering the name of Allah in our heart. There's no Quran and Sunnah backing for this. I respect that. Because they're saying, they're not trying to say, like, for example, La ilaha illallah, La ilaha illallah. This is how. The chishtis do it. They don't try to say that it's sunnah to do it this way. La ilaha illallah is a sunnah. It's لا la ilaha illallah. But to do it this way, they say we only do this ilajan. We find that this is very effective to la ilaha, which means there is no God except Allah. There is no God, sorry. There's no God. So you're you're symbolically throwing all gods behind you by saying la ilaha. And then you're saying illallah. It's just easy to put into your heart. See what I'm saying? So we find that effective. And once you've, it's done its job for you, then you leave it. That makes a lot of sense to me. Right? Because you're told, we're told to do dhikr of Allah. I may like to do dhikr in a dark place, because that is ajma'li fikri, it gives me more concentration. Somebody might like to do it with their eyes closed. Somebody may like to do it lying down on their side. Somebody may like to do it straight after Salat. Somebody may like to do it the last thing that they do at night. Can you say that's a bid'ah? They're not saying this is the Sunnah method of doing it. This is Humans are different. Humans are find comfort in different ways of doing things. What they're doing is Sunnah, meaning the La Ilaha Illallah. That is what's instructed. How you do it, there's no instruction to that. Allah says, those who remember Allah, يَذْكُرْنَ wa wa وَقُعُودًا junubi him, Who remember Allah standing, sitting, and lying down. Allah shows us in Salat that you can stand and remember Him, you prostrate and remember Him, you sit and remember Him, and you go into a Ruku and Sajdah and you remember Him. Shows us various ways of doing so. So it's very versatile in that regard. But if I am now going to say it's sunnah to do it this particular way whereas it's not sunnah then that's a problem. And then if I try to find a hadith that by standing up and jumping up and down is a sunnah because there's a hadith which says that a particular sahabi kind of hopped around the Prophet ﷺ in excitement. I can't get that hadith and take from that hadith that oh that means jumping around is a sunnah. Do you see what I'm saying? So there's a lot of this that you will find. But this is what, uh, th- this is what Imam Ghazali, is saying that that's why somebody who studies the Qur'an and Sunnah first, who becomes an alim, then they enter into tasawwuf. They do much better. And that's why you have a number of these scholars. Like for example, within the Shadili tariqah, which is a very powerful tariqah, you have people like Zarrouk. Sheikh Zarrouk, wonderful scholar. You have Ibn Al-Ajiba. Now these people were ulama first. Then they went into Tasawuf and mashallah they've produced a huge amount of wonderful work. Ghazali is the same. Imam Ghazali rahimahullah is the same. He was a, a theologian and uh, he was the greatest scholar of Baghdad. Teaching 300 ulama in front of him in the highest position. And then he, studied, he learns Tasawuf. So you have, you have this, is, this is the beauty of it. This is not to say that every tasawwuf that is learnt without knowledge will be, will be misleading. It just depends on who you study by. If you have the right teachers, then that could be beneficial as well because it's already been processed in some cases for you. Ibn Rajab al-Hambali, he says in his book, Sharhu Hadith al-Ilm, he says, uh, numerous people from among those who claim to have knowledge of the inner sciences, of spirituality, of the es- esoteric sciences. وَيَتَكَلَّمْ فيه عَلَيْهِ And those who keep speaking about only those particular aspects and who suffice, who restrict themselves to that. يَذُمُّ الْعِلْمَ الظَّاهِرِ أَلَّذِي الشرائع الشَّرَاءِ وَالْأَحْكَامُ وَالْحَلَالُ وَالْحَرَامُ You'll see a lot of them, they will be criticizing the apparent sciences. What he means by that? is the Sharia, the ahkam, the halal and the haram, fiqh and so on. They'll actually criticize them that they're useless if you don't have the inner sciences. But they do it in such a way that they make it seem like studying the external sciences is useless. This is the asal. Look at all of those fuqaha, look at all of those jurists, look at all of those scholars teaching those fiqh and so on. They, they have no internal knowledge. Now it's one thing to say that there's a shortcoming there. Because there are shortcomings, there are some people who are so fo- focused on Dahidi knowledge, on apparent knowledge, which means you know just studying fiqh and they're uh, into hair-splitting, hair-splitting debates and fiqh and theology, and you know going around saying where is Allah and uh, and trying to cause people uh, takfir of people and so on, and they have absolutely no spirituality. There we do have that problem, but it's an extreme on both sides that he's saying that you must avoid. Don't be just a Sufi thinking that it's all about internal sciences and thus you do not, you discourage other types of learning. Say that it's better for you to just sit in dhikr for two hours than to learn a mas'ala, to learn a new ruling about something. There has to be a balance because sharia is all of these things put together. Sharia is not just this and not just that. When you restrict it to one aspect that clouds every other aspect, that's communism. That's what the communists did. They said that equality is so important that they made that the dominant idea to such a degree that they even negated religion in that regard. What had religion to do with economics, with financial stability? But they ended up denying Allah. There's a long history there. We don't want to go into that. But this is what we say that when you consider something to be more important than everything else. And this is the problem in every group. This is the potential problem of every group There are so many people today From the Ikhwan al-Muslimin for example you take an example right, Who have become disenfranchised Ikhwan al-Muslimin, Jamaat Islami Other groups as well right, We can take many names Who have become disenfranchised Because there was one good aspect in it And the good aspect was In both of these groups of Doing something practical Movement, harakah, activity taking action. But sometimes there's some very good people within this, some very good people within this. But then at other times what happens is, they don't see the spirituality, they feel the inner. Then when they see that there's actually problems within the same people who they've learned this from, their movement from, and they, they don't have any action, they become disenfranchised. Now if the particular ethos that they have followed criticized every other group so you've got somebody from a particular movement whatever movement that may be and that movement has said everybody else is doing wrong because they don't do as much work as we do in our particular field that's what generally happens then what's going to happen is if you become disenfranchised with your own movement you've already become disenfranchised from other movements because they've been excluded for you already now You've been excluded from your own movement and you become completely lost. And there are so many people like this that have been part of movements. Within that movement, they think everything, everybody else is wrong and they're not doing enough. Then they've become disenfranchised from their own movement and now they have nothing left. And they are some of the most... I feel sorry for them. They had potential, but somehow it's been completely lost. They can't go to... And you will sit with such people and you'll hear them criticizing this group and that group and that group and every single group. So my question to them is, can you tell me one group or one ulama, one alim that you think is on doing what you think should be done? If they can at least provide you a few ulama, a few groups that are still what they consider to be doing something, then I'll say, okay, maybe you've got a chance. But if they tell you that they can't think of anybody, then this is shaitan. There has to be somebody doing something right. The Allah, the Allah's Messenger said so. There will always be a group. There will always be somebody, a group, a ta'ifa, that will be on the haq. Now if your upbringing, your nurturing, your movement, whatever it may have been, has made you criticize everybody to such a degree that nobody is doing anything valuable, then you seriously have got a problem because the Prophet ﷺ said that the one who says everybody's destroyed is the most destroyed of them all. Because that is despondency. Allah doesn't want us to be despondent. He wants us to have hope. He wants us to have hope. Now we understand and we know very clearly that nearly every group out there has weaknesses. That's my starting premise every group has weaknesses because the groups are built up of humans and humans are weak so if if you think your group that you follow is perfect then that's misleading i am i i would have affinities to groups but i know we've got weaknesses but i know we have huge strengths as well alhamdulillah as humans we have weaknesses we're not prophets we're not divinely guided like prophets But that's fine, that's understandable. And I also know that there are other groups whom I may even criticize. I know they have some very good factors that I can't do or that my group is not doing. And that's why we need to work together. As long as they're on haq, as long as they're trying, then we will complement each other. We will complement each other. This is where people lose out. And I've met some of these people And they're now much older sometimes Uh, Some individuals I've said They were from a particular group And they've just become disenfranchised with everything May Allah guide us all Because it, it it can be in a very isolated Very lonely position for you to be in Where you think you can't work with anybody Eventually such people they lose their deen There's one particular individual I read a book of He's a very famous writer and he talks about how from the 60s, I think it's 60s or 70s, he went through nearly every group. He has an assessment of every group, all the popular groups that are out there. Whether that be Tablighi Jamaat, al Muslimin, Jamaat Islami, Salafis. Got, he's been through everything. Criticizes them all. He ends up saying, I'm a Mu'tazili. Now, come on, a Mu'tazilism was dis- discredited centuries ago. And after all of this, you actually find that that's what you want and you must be allah help you allah help us all allah help us all but going back to our topic it's uh, every path has a possibility of extremism that that's simply what it is humans have a propensity to take things beyond you know beyond Its particular parameters, beyond its limits. So, likewise, it's the same thing that those who are in the da'wah field, whether that be Tablighi, Jamaat, or any other group, if they are going to criticize everybody else, that because you don't do a da'wah in their mind, in their frame of mind, in fact, they go and criticize some ulama as well, that you're not, because you don't do da'wah in a particular way that we you know, feel is the best way to do it, then you are wrong as well. Every group has the potential to do this. The work they're doing is wonderful. You know, subhanallah, I mean, how many people can go every day or at least, you know, um, every day and sit down and do this, uh, you know, thinking about the ummah, that's a very worthy thing to do. How many of us sit down each day to think about the status of our community? Tell me, how many, how many of us would do that? So it's a very worthy thing to do. To take time away from your life, your family, and go out to help others. We see the huge benefits of that. But if those very people, they can go extreme, ulama can go extreme, anybody can go extreme. That's what we need to worry about. So Ibn Rajab al he says that, Yes, I, I mentioned what he said. Then he says, uh, for a person to then criticize people of the zahir saying that they are, the, uh, they are themselves the people of the inner understanding of the true Islam and these people who are focused on fiqh and theology and so on, they are wrong. Then basically they have become veiled. You're basically criticizing what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His messenger encouraged to study fiqh, to study uh, the aqidah, to understand these things well. You're criticizing that. You end up criticizing what the Prophet is considered praiseworthy. That's why Junaid al-Baghdadi, he mentions that these people have wasalu. Wasalu is a Arabic term for saying that, you know when you're on the path of tasawwuf, when you say wasala, it means you have joined, you, you, you have reached Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You've been successful in your mission. So that wasala is an Arabic term for that expression. So Junaid al baghdadi says, These people have also reached. wasalu. ولكن إذا سقر. They've reached Jahannam though, that's the problem. They haven't reached Allah. He says, This is the greatest deception of the shaytan and his misleading these people. لَمْ يَزَلْ بِهِمْ حَتَّى أَخْرَجَهُمْ عَنِ الْإِسْلَامِ And he will continue to play with them until eventually they will exit Islam as well. I gave you examples about that already. He says, Some of them, مَنْ يَظُنْ أَنَّ هَذَا العلم الباطن لا يتلقى من النبوة. There's some among them who thinks that this knowledge of the inner sciences cannot be gained from the Mishkatu النُّبُوَّةِ from the lamp of prophecy. You can't get it from the kitab and sunnah. It can only be acquired from thoughts and from inspirations and from unveilings. Kamila, What they have done is that they have considered, they, they have a very bad opinion about the, uh, about the complete sharia, that it's not sufficient, you need direct ilham from Allah to gain these things. What a bad story that is. That the Sharia can't provide you with this. They are accusing the Sharia of not being able to provide you with this beneficial knowledge. الَّذِي يُوْجِبُ صَلَاحَ الْقُلُوبِ وَقُرْبَهَا مِنْ عَلَّامِ الْغُيُوبِ Such a knowledge which would necessitate the reformation of the heart and closeness to the Knower of the unseen. لا إله إلا الله وأوجب ذلك لهم الإعراض عما جاء به الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم في هذا الباب بالكلية. And this has led them to completely ignore, completely turn away from that which the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم has brought in regards to this chapter, in regards to this particular science entirely. والتكلم فيه بمجرد الآراء والخواطر. And then they began to, they speak purely based on just conjecture speculation, opinions. wa وَأَضَلُّوا They have themselves become misguided and they misguide others. Inshallah, we'll continue this discussion next time. Um, there's more to say about this. But this is the khatar, this is the danger. Uh, this is the danger with anything, with anything that you go to extreme. And while it's beneficial, it's just like medicine, a certain amount of beneficial, you start taking more, and you become intoxicated. Then it becomes substance abuse. But at a particular level, there's a health benefit. After that, it becomes abusive. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us, protect us, and help us. We are we always ask Allah, oh Allah, make us the way you want us to be. May you make us the way you want us to be. Then you are asking for basically closeness, divine guidance. So may Allah accept that from us. Allahumma antas salam wa minka salam al-jalali wal-ikram. SubhanAllah oh al-Aliya al-A'la al-Wahhab. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. O Allah, we ask you for your blessing. We ask you for your mercy. O oh Allah, O oh most merciful of the merciful ones, make us how you would like us to be. O oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness. We ask you for protection. We ask you for understanding and clarity. O oh Allah, forgive us all of our sins. Forgive us sins, forgive us those sins that become a prevention for any rahmah of yours coming down upon us. O oh Allah, forgive us of those sins that have brought, that br- brings misery into our lives. O oh Allah, that takes away the blessing from our lives. O oh Allah, we ask you to forgive us all of those sins that have now become part of our life. And no longer do we even consider them to be wrong anymore. O oh Allah, how severe it will be if we were to die in this state without being forgiven. O oh Allah, allow us to be forgiven before we die. O oh Allah, allow us to be the closest to you that we've ever been before we pass away. O oh Allah, make our final days the best of our days. O oh Allah, make the best of our moments the way the day we stand in front of you. O oh Allah, make us of those who, who obedience is beloved to. And O Allah, who enjoy doing your obedience. O Allah, grant us love and sweetness in our faith. O Allah, grant us blessing in our faith. O Allah, we ask that you make disobedience hated in our hearts. O Allah grab us by the forelocks and put us onto the right path and allow us to enter Jannatul Firdaus. Mm-hmm. O oh Allah, we ask you to bless all of those who have been in any way, shape or form a source of blessing for us, for our deen. Mm-hmm. O oh Allah, who have taught us, who have guided us and O oh Allah, who have nurtured us and supported us. Mm-hmm. O oh Allah, we ask you to bless them abundantly. Mm-hmm. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, accept each one of us for the service of His your deen. O oh Allah, accept each one of us for the shafa'a of your messenger O oh Allah, allow us to follow in the footsteps of your messenger make his sunnahs beloved O oh Allah, make his sunnahs beloved in our hearts and allow us to want to do his sunnah O oh Allah, grant us confidence in our faith grant us yaqeen in our faith O oh Allah, there's a, a lot of confusion out there many people are confused about their faith many people have lost their faith O oh Allah, we ask that you make us of those and our families and our generations and our progeny until the day of judgment of those that adhere to your faith, that remain firm on your faith. And O oh Allah, help us all become guides of those who have been guided. O oh Allah, make us all of those who guide who guide those who are guided ones. O oh Allah, make us force for good and positive changes. O oh Allah, grant us beneficial knowledge. Grant us barakah in our knowledge. Grant us safety from evil knowledge from wrong knowledge from redundancy O oh allah we ask that you protect us from all forms of extremities all forms of shortcomings O oh allah keep us balanced oh allah keep us balanced individuals oh allah keep us the way you want us to be oh allah g- grant us good friends around us good company around us and protect us from any evil from being around us O oh allah grant us Uh, grant us, grant the Muslimin around the world safety and relief from the problems that they're facing. Oh Allah, whether that be in Bangladesh, Burma, Palestine, Iraq, Iran, uh, wherever they may be around the world, O Allah, grant them barakah and blessing. O Allah, grant those people on the truth. Oh Allah, elevation of the truth. And oh Allah, accept us all for the service of your deen. Oh Allah we ask that you you send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and that you grant us his company in the hereafter subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun mursaleen. mursalin walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin